ATX Ahead, presented by the Austin Business Journal, exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders, the business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis, and by Trimbuilt Construction, building Austin since 1984. I'm Colin Pope, editor of the Austin Business Journal. Somewhere next to affordability and traffic, the biggest concern on Austin's collective mind is maintaining the city's quality of life. In other words, keeping Austin weird. How much coolness would we lose if the BYOB Peter Pan mini golf in the shadows of downtown turned into a condo tower? What if the Kirby Lane Cafe on Kirby Lane was transformed into doctor's offices? Or the Continental Club on Congress Avenue was forced to shut down the stage because they couldn't afford the real estate. We can't save them all. Turnover is inevitable. But here's a good start. ABJ's Austin's Icon Series. This series of in-depth stories shines a spotlight on the beloved businesses that make Austin tick. Without them, drivers of our modern economy, such as Tesla, Google, and Apple, would have little interest in Austin. This series investigates whether our beloved longtime small businesses have staying power in these changing times. Taking point on this project is Sahar Shamez. She's the retail and restaurant reporter at the Austin Business Journal. Hey, Sahar, thanks for joining us. Hey, Colin, thanks for having me. You bet. Let's set the stage first and define, you know, what an Austin iconic business is. What do you think? And there's a little bit of subjectivity there. But uh, yeah, how do you define an iconic Austin business? Yeah, absolutely. So we want to look, I guess, to be a little objective, we have to pick out a certain number of years, which is, I would say, at least the business has to have been around for, you know, maybe 15 to 20. And I guess Austin had this entire Keep Austin Weird (laughs) kind of logo. And I think that really helps us define what is a Austin iconic business. We look at what's unique. So for example, we can look at P. Terry's. And um, if you look at P. Terry's architecture, that's kind of an interesting one because you would recognize it. If it closed down and turned into a bank tomorrow, you would like hey this used to be a p terry's uh, right. so you know that's kind of one example but there's also things like we can't miss kirby lane for example with their iconic queso and you know all of the great late nights that austinites have experienced there and there's just so many different unique businesses in austin that we'd be remiss to leave you know maybe a good litmus test is if this place closed down would there be an outcry in the community and uh, and we've seen plenty of closures where there is that outcry in the community. And it's the kind of thing that makes a lot of people, especially on social media, say, oh, this city's really going downhill, you know, when they read about some of these closures of longtime businesses that we had. I think you're pretty on the mark in terms of the longevity required for an Austin iconic business. I noticed there's a group in Austin called uh, Preservation Austin. And back in October, so we're over at the ABJ, we're not the only ones who are cognizant that, um, you know, these uh, these small, long-time businesses need supporting. But because back in October, Preservation Austin had a program. It was a neat little passport program where they gave you a quote-unquote passport. And then you were supposed to, between October 1st and October 31st, 
they urged you to visit 13 local businesses. And when you went in there, they would stamp your passport. And at the end of your journey, at the end of the month, um, you were registered to win, you know, a bunch of prizes like a night at the Driscoll, you know, hotel and things like that. And Preservation Austin, their definition of an iconic Austin business is it really helps if that business has been in the same location for years, but they kind of put the threshold as 20 years is what they view. And some of the businesses that were on their list that are also kind of, you know, in our mind, they urged people back in October to go to Book People, Broken Spoke, Carousel Lounge, Cisco's over in East Austin, Great Restaurant, Deep Eddy Cabaret, and many more. I'm very uh, heartened to see and hear that there is an effort wider than ours to save some of these institutions because, as I mentioned in the intro, they are very vital, not just for the happiness of us, you know, Austinites, new and, and old, but also our business community, our modern economy, these big companies. I always think of when I was talking to a Google executive years ago. I asked him, I said, you know, I know you're trying to get a lot of people in here from from California and other places around the world. And how do you sell them on the Austin location? And they said, well, it's pretty easy. We take them over to the Red Eye Fly. And the the Red Eye Fly is a bar that unfortunately is not there anymore. Um, But it was a downtown bar. And it was just a gritty, cool local dive. And, you know, the Google execs were saying, you know, we wanted to show them what Austin's all about. And so rather than take them out to some fancy steak dinner, you know, at uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse or some chain like that, they took them to this, you know, local dive bar. And they said that did the trick every time. And they fell in love with Austin by visiting those types of places. So, so far, Sahar, what are some of the uh, more compelling stories that you've been able to report as part of this series? Is there any company or story that stands out first and foremost? Gosh, there are so many little quips in these stories that I'm like, I can't believe this is what's going on or what's going to happen. For example, with Peter Pan mini golf, I was shocked to find out that they don't own that property, A, because it's been around for so long. B, you can't just move around structures like that very easily. And everyone loves Peter Pan mini golf, you know, like, I don't think there is a single person living in Austin that hasn't been or doesn't have like kind of a unique experience there, whether you're new to the city or you've been around for generations and you hear a lot of those proposal stories there or, you know, I went there as a young person and now I'm a grandparent bringing in my my grandchildren. So that kind of really set off this whole idea of, wow, there's so much to be discovered about these businesses and how... There's a thin line between being in business and potentially being out of it. Um, that really kind of shocked me. When you hit up Peter Pan uh, for the first time, what, yeah, what did they tell you about their, yeah, they don't own the land. So I guess they're beholden with the lease and, and kind of everything hangs on that. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a trust right now that's in charge of that lease and that's to the uh, TJJD. And the trust there, right now, they're trying to bring in a new trustee to take care of those leases. And it's kind of up in the air. Now, there's been a huge effort right now to save Peter Pan by creating a historic zoning for it. And that has been kind of very much organic, where people got together and they were like, hey, we don't want Peter Pan to close. So it's totally part of the city's effort. And I think that was really cool to kind of spin out from learning this kind of information 
maybe like less than two years ago. And now it's like, hey, everyone's rallying behind Peter Pan because their lease is coming to a close soon. And it's unsure what what happens next if no new trustee comes along. Um, and they're less than, gosh, they're less than half a year away from having to renew. Yeah. And it's an odd situation. You mentioned the what TJJD. I think that's a, something like the Texas Juvenile Justice Department, which right. you wonder, wow, how do they, you know, why are they landowners and all that long story? You've told it, though. I was uh, fascinated to see that uh, after your story was published, uh, yeah, the petitions that were circulated, the Save Peter Pan mini golf petitions that came out because, boy, I'll tell you what, we are now the 10th largest city in the U.S., and I'm trying to think of a city in the top 10 that has a quirky little bring your own beer, putt putt, goofy golf course, pretty much right in downtown. And I think we're the only one. And the fact that we're the only one means we're weird. And so, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people, that one really struck a chord with me. I've got childhood memories from that place and I've taken my kids there too. So I really hope that they can renegotiate that lease. And, and I'm glad to see that everybody's uh, largely behind them. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of it's one of those businesses that hasn't evolved very much over the years either. So I feel like, you know, if you're you were going to Peter Pan mini golf 30 years ago and if you're going today, you're not going to see a huge difference. Maybe uh, some updates to, you know, chipped paint or something like that. And I think they started charging a dollar extra, which it's still one of the cheaper dates or things you can do around Austin. Uh, but that's really just to kind of keep up with the inflation. They were like, we don't want to add our own concessions and things that are, you know, expensive, like a theme park or uh, those kinds of places. They keep their sodas and their waters cheap. They keep their snow cones cheap. And everything else is BYOB. And I, I feel like, you know, they could have definitely tried to capitalize more off of adding liquor and more expensive things to their options. But they, they want to keep it kind of as it once was when it first opened. And it's still in the same family, by the way. Um, and I think that's another interesting thing is just looking at businesses that continue longevity within the same family. So that's, for example, Straight Music is another one of those places. I think it's fourth generation owned. And as we see retail trending more online, I think it's cool that straight music is still expanding its locations and growing its business in the physical sphere and not the online sphere. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too, from interviewing ownership. More things that stood out to me, I think Mozart's is kind of really cool, too. Like you said, some biases will sneak up in here <laughs> in this conversation. But, you know, Mozart's, for example, they don't ever plan on getting a liquor license, even though there are so many coffee shops who have trended in that direction because it definitely brings up the profits. But they kind of figured out who their market is, and it's very much a diverse market that doesn't want to just an additional place to go out drinking. They want to have this like, you know, come with the grandkids feeling or I want to come have a late night conversation next to the water and not feel the pressure to drink kind of environment. That Mozart story was was interesting. So Mozart Cafe, if, ever, if uh, you know, you hadn't been there, that is um, just a, a little relatively little coffee shop right on the lake uh, off of Lake Austin Boulevard near the Hula Hut. And uh, when you turn in that story, it you know, different, a lot different than what happened with Peter Pan. Uh, you know, some of these businesses have uncertain futures and uh, they need to figure some things out. 
Mozart's, uh, after I read your story, made my heart pretty warm to know that there are some of these Austin icons that are doing extremely well and, um, you know, really not in jeopardy at all. And I think Mozart's was probably the best example of that. I think he got into their revenue and it, it, there was some big numbers, if I recall, in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Mozart's just this year alone, they're thinking they're going to hit an $8 million revenue, but they've been growing for 30 years. I mean, every year has been an addition in revenue over the last. And I think what they've done, which is kind of going back to your first question about what makes a business iconic. In Mozart's case, it's like they don't think they can replicate their business. Even, you know, they they want to stay where they are. They've had ample opportunity to open multiple locations and I think they have the funds to do it but what they've done is really focus on growing in their location because it's so beautiful and unique I mean when I have family coming in I always bring them to Mozart's I'm like I want to show this place off it's one of the first places I want people to see and experience and they've just kind of been growing in that location whether that's adding paddle boards off of their dock or bringing in boats so people can watch the Christmas lights from the water or right now bringing in that Taylor Swift stage which I think is free for people to participate in but I think it's a genius idea to be like hey we want you here and once you're there you're probably going to grab a hot chocolate or, or a coffee or a dessert or something so they've really learned how to capitalize off of one small location and it's setting them up for a future where they think they can hit $30 million of revenue over the next decade, uh, partly because they want to join the consumer packaged goods sphere. So they're really thinking big out of one small location. And yes, that's kind of the opposite of Peter Pan, but I think both businesses have found ways to be successful in the methodologies they've used. ATX Ahead. Presented by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders. Providing trusted financial advisory services to entrepreneurs, family business owners, and financial sponsors for more than 20 years. The business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis PLLC. Handling high profile, high stakes, and mission critical matters for you and your business. Learn more at cstrial.com. And by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984. Visit us at trimbuilt.com or call 512-689-7881. Let's start the conversation about your project. I really hope that some of these stories that we're, we're publishing, you know, Mozart's, for instance, when a, when a little coffee shop like that is you know producing about you know roughly 10 times the revenue that a normal starbucks store does i really hope that we're able to connect other austin icons longtime retailers mom and pop shops largely um, with these people who can um, you know help uh, you know we'll share some of their strategies but uh, austin's a great town for uh, for networking and and you know these people who are running these businesses they'll pick up the phone uh, for for their peers And I really hope that um, these businesses start talking to each other about how to survive. Do you get the uh, suspicion that real estate is the biggest threat to them, real estate changes and costs? Definitely. I think there is not a single business that hasn't talked real estate when it comes to their plan. Mozart's is in that ideal situation of their real estate is owned by 
the University of Texas. So I think they get a little bit more cushion when it comes to their longevity. But not every business in Austin gets that. And with property taxes soaring, it's just it's become incredibly more difficult. And places that can, you know, near the domain in Q2 Stadium, people can now build vertically, which that's causing a whole other level of pains for businesses who own properties in that area because of the cost. So I think everywhere you go in Austin, you're just thinking property is so expensive. So it's definitely up there in in the concerns and obviously inflation, uh, cost of goods. A lot of the businesses I work with tend to be uh, food focused. So I think margins there are already slim. So whenever you couple inflation into that equation, you're kind of at a very difficult uh, crossroads. Yeah, I worry about us being able to have a new crop of Austin icons. You know, you mentioned P. Terry's earlier, and there are some newer companies that are going to probably make it into the Austin icons bucket. But you had that story about the domain area and how a lot of, um, well, the majority of the beer breweries up there uh, have shuttered in the past uh, year, year and a half or so. And because of zoning changes, because of the domain area blowing up. And and we saw the same thing with Rainy Street. I mean, I look at Rainy Street and there's probably some places there that had, uh, you know, Luster Pearl Bar or maybe even Container Bar or some of these other uh, bars that were on Rainy Street. They didn't have the opportunity to get anywhere near that 20 year threshold that a lot of us, you know, kind of consider crucial. That's a concern for me. That, uh, boy, it's, uh, you know, it's already cutthroat in retail and restaurants. And you add in uh, this modern economic changes that we've got. And it scares me a little bit. Absolutely. Me too. Um, And just kind of thinking about outside money coming into Austin is... You know, I think for residents, it's kind of scary and for business owners. Now, again, I I know I keep defaulting to Mozart's, but Ken Leonard, uh, owner of Mozart's, gave a great interview. And he also talked about that where Austinites, Austin businesses need to continue to evolve to be able to meet that standard that newcomers are also wanting out of businesses. Austin used to have very casual, chill locations. And I think, you know, that made Austin what it was. But that's not the case anymore. We have so many international and national restaurants coming in. And so much outside money is just coming in that I think it's kind of impossible to contain that old Austin feel. So we have to shape it into what we want it to be now. That means focusing in on these iconic businesses and seeing how they can continue to grow and evolve with our city. Yeah, these new deep pockets are kind of threatening to our quality of life here and some affordability in these types of uh, businesses. So I would, you know, I would urge the deep pockets who are listening to us right now to maybe take a page out of Gary Keller's script. So Gary Keller started uh, Keller Williams Realty. Uh, He's a longtime Austinite and uh, he's got a soft spot for the live music scene here. And uh, so he's he's done amazing things and he's not the only one. Uh, um, who has uh, come to the rescue of local businesses. But back a few years ago, the Saxon Pub on South Lamar, uh, great great place to go see some music, have a drink, been there forever. Kind of the place that if, you know, if it closed, everybody in town would kind of freak out a little bit. They were hitting some dangerous times a while back, and Gary Keller went ahead and pretty much bought the place 
And, um, you know, I, I haven't talked to Gary to know whether or not he's been able to make uh, money on that, but I don't think he cares. What he cares about is making sure that the Saxon pub is still around. And I love those stories of, you know, uh, big business people coming to the rescue. There's a guy named Fred Schmidt here who's been in the retail scene for quite some time. And when he heard that Toy Joy was on the ropes and probably going to go out of business, he pretty much saved Toy Joy by buying that, relocating it. And uh, we've still got Toy Joy uh, around. And Toy Joy is not your typical toy store. Um, you know, it's a, it's just a neat, quirky little place that sells. Well, you can buy a bag of unicorn farts there. Last I heard, and you know, where you know, is there anything more weird than that? And that's what we're trying to do is keep things weird here. So here, here to the deep pockets who have actually rallied and come to save these places, which is nothing new. I've known for years that Antones, the nightclub here, um, back in the old days, was sustained partly uh, with the help of uh, John Paul DeJoria, who helped start Patron Tequila and uh, Paul Mitchell hair products. And so there is a uh, interesting love-hate relationship between Deep Pockets and these Austin icons. I would love to see how this continues to evolve, but now some of these Austin icons are also, you know, I, I would say they're trying to get in the sphere where they can have slightly deeper pockets. You know, I don't think that Peter Pan is going to be at a level where, where they can have such deep pockets, but, yeah, you know, a place like, potentially twin liquors with with all of the locations that they have and things like right. that um you know those those iconic businesses that have been around for so long some of them might eventually become in that category or are in that category so it's neat to see how the scales and what how we define an austin iconic businesses can definitely be from very shallow to potentially very deep pockets <laughs> yeah no some of our new icons you know p terry's continues to grow uh, they've got just as many if not more locations than mcdonald's has here in town so that's good uchi the sushi restaurant um you know I, you gotta kind of start putting that up into the austin icons bucket as well and uchi is a another brand that continues to grow um, not just here in Austin, but, you know, in, in other cities. There are so many places. I mean, they're going to California, New York. So it's not just Californians coming in. Austinites are also taking over some of their states, Colin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I look at uh, Chewy's and Torchy's Tacos. I mean, I'll, I'll call them some Austin icons. Uh, but, you know, frankly, uh, people around the country know of Chewy's and know of uh, Torchy's Tacos. Torchy's is just uh, what, last week we reported they're expanding over into Atlanta. So their their footprint is far and wide. What are some of the companies that you'd like to check in with uh, in the foreseeable future as part of the series? I have so many, Colin, but uh, just off the top of my head, Matt's El Rancho, Mean oh, yeah. Schultz Garden, Twin Liquors, I know I already hinted at them before, P. Terry's, we've, that's been talked about a lot here. We've just got so many great ones. Gosh, we have, I'm trying to think now, we mentioned so many in our conversation, but... We, we have a running long list of companies. There are literally hundreds of them, I think, when we put our mind to it. In fact, we invite yeah. anybody who's listening or, or readers of the Austin Business Journal uh, contact Sahar or myself if you've got ideas on a, on a beloved local business uh, that you think we ought to shine the spotlight on, and we will certainly heed that. Yeah, I would love to hear some more, but I don't want to give too many away, right? Um, I want the audience to feel a little suspense and what's to come yeah. next. 
<laughs> but yes, I would love those ideas. I think even opens up my horizon. I've been in Austin for a long time, but there are still some places that I'm still discovering here that have been long, well-established businesses. So I look Thank forward you. to learning more. Well, we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Sahara, I appreciate you joining us today and uh, keep those uh, Austin icon stories coming. We really enjoy them. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks for having me here today, Colin. ATX Ahead, presented by the Austin Business Journal. Exploring the future of Austin and the challenges we face. Brought to you by Cascadia Capital, the investment bank of choice for business leaders. The business litigation law firm of Kane and Scarnulis. And by Trim Built Construction, building Austin since 1984.